Good morning, Calvary. Glad you guys are here today. Thank you for, to Carolyn for reading. Um, normally we've been doing um, just a couple verses. I had her read 13 slides worth of verses. So thank you very much. She did a great job doing that um, this morning. Today we are in week four of our Ebenezer series. And my name is Drew Phillips. I'm the associate pastor here at Calvary. So that just means I get to be up here about once a month. So if I haven't met you yet, I hope to do so. And we are glad that you're here today. And on week four of our Ebenezer series, we are going to be looking at the life of Noah. And this is probably a story that we are all somewhat familiar with, even if you haven't grown up in the church. It's a story that, we're, that you're familiar with, that you know the, the basis about it. And today we're going to take a closer look at that. And what we've been doing through this series is taking a kind of a walk through Hebrews chapter 11 and taking a look at each Old Testament character that the author points out and highlights and taking a look at their faith, but also God's faithfulness through that. And so we're going to do that today with Noah. Um, before we get into that, what I would like to do is just to kind of give us some definitions, just remind us a little bit of where we're at, where we're going today, and so that way we can kind of all be on the same page. So the first definition I want to look at is the definition of Ebenezer. What is an Ebenezer? The definition we've been working with is this. Ebenezer is markers of past hope, fulfilled by God's faithfulness, giving us an assurance of future hope. And the way we would see this a lot in the Old Testament, and we see a lot, a lot of times when the Israelites would move from place to place, they would set up these altars. And so specifically, when they crossed back into the promised land, and they walked on dry land again, God commanded each one of the leaders of the tribes of Israel to pick up a stone and to place it to build an altar. And that altar was to serve as a reminder of God's faithfulness. And so they had these Ebenezer stones that they would, could look back to and remember how God had worked in their life. And the way we've kind of done that here is talked about how we should all have Ebenezer moments in our lives, times where we can look back and see the things that God has done in and through us in order um, to remember when we go through tough times, the times that he's been good and when he's been faithful. And we've marked these Ebenezer moments with these three things. If you've had an Ebenezer moment, usually it starts out with a feeling of helplessness. It starts out with a feeling of helplessness, like you can't do it on your own. Then after you feel helpless, there's a time of lament. There's a time of mourning where you wish things maybe looked a little bit differently, where you do not enjoy the current situation of your life. Ending up with victory, seeing God's faithfulness through it and coming through victoriously, seeing the work that God has done. These are the three kind of markers of our Ebenezer moments. Next definition is faith. What is faith? The author of Hebrews gives us to us in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. So before we get into the chapter, they started out with this. It says, Now faith is the reality for what is hoped for and proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. So faith is being sure of something that you cannot see. And the people that we're reading through, this is what marked and this, was a, this is what approved their faith. And so today we are going to be in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 7. It says this, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes 
by faith. Now, most of us, like I said, are familiar with the story of Noah, and it covers four chapters of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. It's chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9, and we're not going to read all of those today. We're going to take a few snapshots, look at a few different parts of that to give us context for what the author of Hebrews is talking about. And so where I'd like to start today is Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. They say this, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And I'm not going to read the rest of it to you. Uh, Sai last week did the whole genealogy thing. I'll leave that up to him. But we're going to just stop there and recognize that Noah was the grandson, which we'll talk about here in a second, of Enoch. And then he fathered three sons, and his sons were faithful as well. But what a way to, for, for things to start in verse 8 when it says, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Imagine if that was your name in Scripture, that you found favor with the Lord. And the key thing there is the word however, because that points back to what happened in verses 1 through 7, which verses 1 through 7 talk about the hot mess that the world was at that point where people, all they were doing were thinking about themselves. They were self-focused. They wanted to glorify every one of their desires. They wanted to be their own God. They wanted to be in control. They didn't want anyone to tell them what to do, how to do it, which way to do it. They wanted to be the boss. They wanted to be the one that was in control. And because of that, the world went crazy. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah found favor with the Lord. And so because of that, Jesus, or God called him righteous. And we'll get back to the fact that he refers to him as righteous in a little bit. And he said he walked with God. And as I said, a few weeks ago, Daniel talked about Enoch and how Enoch walked with God. And Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. So we see the generational impact that Enoch had that we now see in Noah that, again, he's going to pass on to his sons as well. And how we talked about how our hope is to have that same generational impact in our own families, in the people that we have influence in their lives, that we would have that same generational impact that we can see from generation to generation, God's faithfulness and some of those markers that we see with Enoch all the way down to Noah where they walked with God. They were considered righteous. As we enter into this next part of the story, we see where Noah's faith is put into action. So God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build a big boat for a place for you and the animals to live on. Because at this point, God is so frustrated with the world that he's going to decide to repopulate it and he wants to start with Noah and his family. And that's why when the author of Hebrews says, by faith, Noah, after he was warned of what he had not seen, this is what he's talking about. That thing that Noah had not seen was the flood that was going to come. And let's remember that God has asked Noah to build a boat in the middle of the desert. 
build a boat in the middle of the desert. So again, and if you read some different commentaries, you read some theologians, there'll be some arguments. As, Did it actually rain before the time of the flood? What was all that like? We read earlier in Genesis accounts that the world would kind of hydrate itself, that there were these natural springs that would come up. Um, so it wasn't that water wasn't something that was uncommon, but it wasn't something that was super normal, and especially the amount of rain that was going to come. That had never come to the point where they needed a boat, something that was going to float. So Noah had to build something that most people had not seen for an event that most people were not familiar with. This is the act of faith that Noah had to put into action. And that's a big deal. But what I want to pay more attention to than the act itself, or than, than um, the fact that uh, what God asked him to do, I want to pay attention to Noah's response. Genesis 6.22 says this, And Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him. Read on, Genesis 7.5. And Noah did everything the Lord commanded him. One of the most important things that we can take away from the life of Noah is that he lived a life of obedience to God. That he did everything the Lord commanded him to do. And for us, if we are going to live a life of faith, if our faith is going to, if it's, if our faith is going to grow, then we need to live a life of obedience. Trusting what God says and then putting that into action through what he has asked us to do. Now, I'm in a season right now um, where I have the opportunity to coach both of my boys in sports. And that has been a huge blessing. As a young man, I, I dreamed, dreamed of the day that I would be able to coach my kids in something that they were passionate about. And so right now in this short season, I get to do that. And I recognize it's going to be a pretty short season that eventually they're going to get to uh, they're going to graduate from my area of expertise and go on to other people who can coach them better and help them become more successful and achieve the things that they want to achieve. But right now, for this brief moment, I have an opportunity to do that. And so through this, I've, uh, it's, again, it's a young, they're, they're, they're pretty young. They're nine and seven. And so because of this, a lot of the other kids that I've had the opportunity to coach, this is their first time playing a sport. And so we'll take the example for basketball. I coached Hudson's basketball team this year. He's my seven-year-old. And a lot of the kids that were on the team, this was their first time playing organized basketball. And so what they would do when they came into the first practice is, okay, go ahead and shoot. And I'm kind of watching how everyone's doing it. And they're sitting here, they're bending their legs, and they're shooting like this, right? And they're sitting here, and they're wondering why the ball's not going in the basket. And they're getting really confused. And you let them do that for a little bit, and then you start to teach them and coach them that, you know, if you actually want to shoot, you don't want to use both hands, right? You want to have one hand to guide it, but you want to have the other hand to shoot. And you put it alongside here, and you get, if you get that elbow in, then the ball will go straight. If you pop your elbow out like this, you're going to push the ball, and it's going to put a funny spin on it. And you start to coach them. And again, early on, it's slow progression. It's trying to break old habits in order for them to experience the result that they want, which is ultimately to put the ball in the basket. But for all of that to happen, it takes a couple things. First of all, that kid needs to trust me, the coach, that the things that I am telling them will actually be helpful for them to achieve the things that they want to achieve. They've got to trust me. They've got to do that. But how are they going to trust me? 
How are they going to build? How am I going to build that trust with them? That trust is going to be built through them obeying what I've told them to do. For them to listen and actually put it into action. It's one, th- it's one thing for them to think, okay, yeah, he knows what he's doing, but I'm still going to shoot like this. No, it's obeying, putting that elbow in, getting the, your hand underneath the ball, having the other hand here to guide it, and then to shoot. And then you know what happens? Once they start to do that, they start to see the ball go in the basket more. They start to re- achieve the results that they're hoping for, and then because of that, their faith in the things that I tell them to do is going to grow because they trusted what I said and then obeyed what I told them to do. You may not be a basketball person or a sports person, but you can take that analogy any way you want to do it. Whatever you're passionate about, it takes time and practice and trust and obedience to be able to become good at that. And the same way is true with our faith. If we are going to grow in our faith, the example that we get here from Noah is that he was one that obeyed everything that God commanded him to do. And because he obeyed what God commanded him to do and trusted him, then the results that were desired were there, and he was a righteous man because of it. If we read on in Hebrews 7, we see that he was motivated by godly fear. And this is something for us in church world we sometimes don't like to talk about or don't know how to handle. What does this godly fear look like? And in our Proverbs series a couple months ago, we talked about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That if we're going to be wise people, the best thing we can do is fear the Lord. But this is not a fear of the Lord that's motivated by, like, being scared or nervous of how is someone going to react to a situation. We're not motivated because we don't know how someone is going to react. We're motivated because we do know how he or she is going to react. In this situation, how God is going to react. And Noah knew that. Because again, that word fear is more of uh, this idea of awe or understanding authority. And so Noah was motivated because he had a relationship with God and he knew how God was going to react in certain situations. He knew his heart. And so out of the awe and the understanding of the authority that God has, that motivated Noah to obey, to, to act in faith. Not, I'm scared what God is going to do to me, and so because I'm scared of what God is going to do to me, I'm going to obey because I'm a little bit nervous how he's going to react. Do do you understand the difference? And so because of that, let's let's do this. This is the way I think, for me, that I've experienced this a little bit over the last two years. So these last two years, a lot of our, for those of us who work, a lot of our work, or even in school, a lot of our schooling was done online, right? So you were in front of a screen, and there was somebody who was talking to you that you were either in authority over or that you were under their authority. And so for these two years, when you would do that, a lot of what was given to you or to me in those situations is you were given commands. Hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. I need this report by here. I need you to finish this by this time and have it in. Okay, thanks. Meeting's over. Go on your way. Some of you love that. I think that is difficult for a lot of us when it comes to authority, though. Because you don't get a chance to know the person who is in authority over you or those that you're in authority over. Because when you work in the same place, you get the opportunity to interact a little bit more. 
you get the opportunity to see them in the halls, to talk to them, to get to know their heart, to get to under, know the under, and understand the things that they're passionate about. You get to see them as a human being. You get to be in relationship with them instead of them just being an authority figure over where you have to do everything they tell you to do. And the same way is with our relationship with God. If we treat our relationship with God like we treat a Zoom meeting, where you just kind of check in, you tell him what you need to do, what, he want, what you want him to do for you, and you check out, you do that two or three times a year, you're not going to understand or have a relationship with who he is or understand what he's asking you to do. You don't understand the authority that he has because you are just doing these little pop-in checks. Noah had a relationship with God. And for us, if we were to spend time in God's word, so this is one of the misnomers that we talk about, that God is, a, is, a, is an angry God. That God is mad all the time, that especially you look at the Old Testament and there's all these things that he's so angry about and he's destroying this. If you read the Old Testament into the New Testament, you understand that God's heart is for those who couldn't help themselves. God is concerned about the poor and the less fortunate. And then we see that played out through Jesus' life, that Jesus was concerned about those who couldn't help themselves. And that motivated a lot of what God did, and it motivated a lot of what Jesus did. But if you don't take the time to read it and understand it and get to know the heart of God, then you're going to miss out on that. You just get these high points, but you don't understand the authority and the place where he comes from. And that comes through relationship. Just like it is with us in our classrooms or in our workspace, it's easier for us to understand the power and authority that someone has when we're in relationship with them. And we see this in Noah's life. We continue on in Hebrews 11, second part of the verse, it says this, by faith he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. I said we were going to talk a little bit, a little bit about this idea of righteous and how Noah was righteous. Now, actually, Noah is the first person in Scripture to be described as Righteous. So, Bible trivia. If you're at some place, you're doing trivia time, who was the first person in the Bible called righteous? Noah. Write it down, you'll get it right every time after this. Noah, first person to be described as righteous. And righteous is this church word that we use a lot. Ultimately, it means he lived the right way. It means right living. And so he lived as God had desired for him to live. And so he lived a righteous life, or he lived the right way. To the point where Peter, uh, one of the apostles, he wrote a letter in the, in the New Testament. His second letter he wrote in 2 Peter 2.15, he talks about how Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And what he means by that is this, that Noah didn't actually go around with a megaphone and, and preach right, righteousness and say all these things. What Noah did is just by the way that he lived, his life was like a living sermon of how to live righteously, how to live rightly just by how he lived. People could watch what he did and get a picture of what it means to have right living just by the actions and the faith that he portrayed. <clears throat> now to be transparent with you here a little bit, when I was reading through this and preparing for the sermon, I really didn't like this part of the verse. It was a little bit confusing to me. I didn't like how the CSB put it. So, um, and that happens a lot um, with scripture. I didn't like when it said, by faith he condemned the world. Like, what, what, what does the author of Hebrews mean? By his faith, he condemned the world. That sounds pretty negative. I don't really like how that's put. And the beauty of technology that we have now 
is that if you're a little bit confused by a certain translation, instead of having to go down to your local church or the Christian bookstore and buying a, vers a version that you want to try out, you can just go to the top of your little app or Google it, and you can get all the different translations that you want. And so for me, that's kind of the place where I was at with it. I didn't love it. I didn't understand it. So I was one to try to better understand what the author was trying to communicate. So I read a couple different uh, translations. And the one that really helped me with my understanding was the message version. Now, if you're not familiar with the message version, I do want to set it up for you a little bit. The message version was a, uh, it's a paraphrase of the Bible that uh, pastor Eugene Peterson uh, translated. And Eugene Peterson was a pastor, he was a professor, um, he was an author, and he was one that really had a heart for his congregation in Maryland. And so early on in his ministry, he realized that the people in his congregation, the words that they were reading in the, in the scripture were not words that they used on a regular basis. So he translated the Psalms and the Proverbs into common day, everyday language. He called it a paraphrase. So that they could pray and think through what how, when they read scripture in familiar language that they use in everyday life. And that was so popular that some other publishers said, hey, would you come in and would you do the whole Bible? And that became the end of his life work, was translating that into a paraphrase so that we can better understand it. So for me, a lot of times, that is a helpful paraphrase or translation to go to to get a better understanding. And so I want to read that to you today. And so the message version of Hebrews 11.7 says this, By faith... Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned, warned of something he couldn't see, and he acted on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. The sentence there that he acted, his act drew a sharp line between the evil and the righteousness of the believing world. That was super helpful for me. To understanding that Moses' life, it was this, or not Moses, Noah, his life was like a living sermon. And through the way that he lived, he drew a line in the sand to say, hey, if we are going to follow after God, if we are going to live the way that God has created us to live, then we're going to draw a line here in the sand. And this is how we're going to act. This is how we're going to respond. These are the things that we're going to do. And this is what the unbelieving world is going to do. And Moses, or Noah, through that, drew a line in the sand and gave us a clear picture of what that is. So then for us as followers of Jesus, this is something that should ring true for us. That how we live should look different than the rest of the world. How we respond to things should look different than the rest of the world. Now let's, let's be clear about something here before we get too far down the path. <clears throat> we know, we believe, that we are saved through faith in Jesus. When we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died on a cross for our sin and rose and conquered death. We are saved through believing faith in that. We are not saved by anything that we do. There is no good act, there is no good thing that you can do to earn your way. It comes solely through faith in Jesus and the work that Jesus did on the cross. If we have this faith, it should produce something in us. It should produce the good works. It should produce things. We should do things because of that faith. 
That's what we see in the life of Noah. James talks about this. He talks about faith without works is dead. If you really want to get into a deep dive, you can go to, you can go and read in James chapter 2. Start in verse 14 and just finish out the rest of the chapter. He does this really deep dive on what faith is and how faith in us should produce something that we shouldn't just say, yeah, I have faith in Jesus and now I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. No, we have faith in Jesus and because we have faith in Jesus, because of the life transformation it has made in our life, then we begin to act differently. For Noah, he built a big boat. For you, God may not be asking you to build a big boat. But he might be asking you to not take that promotion because it would be better for you to spend more time with your family. He may be asking you not to take that job transfer in the warmer climate, which today, sign me up for that one, right? In order for the stability for you, your family, the people that you're doing life with, to be able to do long relationship with people and really to lean into that. God may be calling you to stay and not to go. Maybe for you it means not getting that new toy that you've wanted so you can be generous to others. It could be just simply what Jesus has asked all of us to do, and that's just to consider others' needs before our own. And these are just little acts of faith that as we begin to do it more and more, just like getting your hand into the basketball, pulling your elbow in, the more we do that, the more we're obedient to the little acts of faith, the easier it is for the larger ones. The easier it is for us when God asks us to do something that we wouldn't normally do, the easier it is to obey those things because we've been obedient in the small things. And we've got accustomed to this right way of living that it just feels a little bit more comfortable. It's different than what the world says. The world says, no, take that promotion. The world says, no, move to that warmer climate that you've always wanted to move to. Or you deserve that, that toy. You've worked so hard. You deserve that toy. You need to do that. Maybe God is asking us to do things a little bit differently, and he has a plan for that. When we look at these Ebenezer moments, again, they come and they start with a feeling of helplessness. They come and then go through a time of lament, and then we hope to see a victory on the other side of it. But the reality is this. We are not going to experience these Ebenezer moments if we, go, if we don't go through tough times. We've talked about this a lot here before, that it's through tough times that we grow. That when things are just easy, when things are going smoothly, that more often than not, those are not going to be times of growth in your life. But it's when you walk through the difficult times. It's when your faith is really challenged. It's when your hope is lost and Jesus shows up, that your faith begins to grow. But the reality for all of us is this, is that we do whatever we can do in order to guard ourselves from going through tough things. We want to insulate ourselves and everyone that we care about enough that they don't have to go through difficult times. 
And sometimes the cost of that is that we, our faith doesn't grow because our faith grows through difficult situations. So maybe for you right now, you're sitting here and you just got out of a difficult situation. Or maybe you're currently in one. And here you've got a guy on stage that's telling you to rethink and to reshape this situation that you're walking through right now in order to see it through a lens that God is growing you up. That God wants to use this situation for your betterment. And you're sitting here thinking right now, you have no clue what I'm going through and what you're asking me to do. You're right. I don't know. I can see some external things. We can have a conversation, but I can't really know what's going on internally. I can't really know what you're wrestling with God with right now. And I'm not asking you to just say, it's great, but time out. We all do this all the time. So before you get super mad at me for saying, hey, just act like everything's fine, we do this all the time, right? I'll walk in and say, how's life? Oh, things are good. Things are great. You just had a huge argument in the car. You're not doing well, but you don't have time and we don't have the vulnerability or the space here on Sunday morning to actually let people know how we're doing, so we fake it, right? We've gotten pretty good at that. I'm not asking you to just fake it and pretend like everything is fine. What I'm asking you to do is, in those difficult situations, to pause and to ask God to shine a light in some areas in your life where you're growing some areas in your life through this difficult situation where you are becoming the person that he has created you to be. And maybe that's, that's tough for you to have that conversation with God. What I would encourage you to do is ask a close friend. Ask a close friend, hey, through this difficult time, how have you seen God show up in my life? How have you seen a change in my life? Because when we go through difficult things, if we allow God to do the work that he wants to do, there is an opportunity for us to grow. And so I just want to invite you into that. I want to invite you in. I want to encourage you to end those difficult times, whether you're coming out of one, whether you're in one, or whether you are going to be moving into one. That as you're going through it, see that. You, let your vantage point be, in this situation, God is going to do some work in my life, and I just hope that I don't waste the pain that I'm going through or that I went through, and that I'm able to become who God wants me to become, because it may not be that you did anything wrong. God may have you exactly where he wants you, and we just need to change our vantage point to see, like Noah, the things that we're going to are going to help grow our faith so that we can be the person that God has created us to be. And so that leads us to our daily training. Our daily training is this. Spend some time this week asking God where you need to be more obedient in your discipleship to Jesus. So as we're apprenticing to Jesus, as we're trying to become more and more like Jesus, there are some areas in our life that we probably need to be more obedient or that we need to practice some right living. So this week, just spend some time asking God or asking the close friend, in what areas do I need to do this? In what areas do I need to... Uh, to, to submit this to you in order to follow, follow you as you want me to, in order to be the person that you have created me to be. Now, one of the things that Daniel has done every week is that he's taken one of these characters and written a 12 to 15 word life purpose statement. 
that might fit to their life. And he's encouraged all of us to do that. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do that. The process you can, uh, the sermon on that is in the process series. You can go back and find that on our website. But this is Noah's, this is, could be what Noah's 12 to 15 word purpose life mission statement was. Noah existed to glorify God and to serve others by acting in faith to preserve humanity and other living creatures through radical obedience and right living. Through radical obedience and right living. God may not be calling you to radical obedience today, but he does have a desire for how each one of us live. He has areas in our life that he desires for us to be obedient, to obey, because it's what's best for us. So we use this example of Noah. It's an extreme example, but that's why it's an example. And the way the story ends is like this. As Carolyn read for us earlier, Noah and his family, the animals go in, God shuts the door, it rains a ton. Earth finally dries out. And God reestablishes his covenant with Noah and promises him that he's never going to destroy the earth again. And by way of a reminder, by way of an Ebenezer, of a promise to his faithfulness, he put a rainbow in the sky. And we've talked about through this series that as followers of Jesus, our main Ebenezer, the main thing we can look to is the cross that the cross serves as that reminder to us, that tangible reminder of the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. But a rainbow is an Ebenezer to all of us, that if it rains, it doesn't snow again. And we see that rainbow in the sky. It's a promise to us that God is no longer going to destroy the earth like he did, but the next time anything major happens, it's going to be his son returning and making all things right. And we can trust that promise. It comes through relationship with Jesus. If that's something you want to know more about, there'll be some of us who are up front here afterwards who'd love to chat with you about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Noah's example. Father, I thank you for his faith. There are times I just, I can't imagine what that would feel like the time and the energy and the effort he went in to build that boat just as you commanded him to build it. To do everything as you commanded him to do in a world, Lord, where everyone was doing the exact opposite. And Father, if I'm honest with you at times, that's what's difficult for me is that I want to look like the rest of the world in a lot of the things that I do. So I thank you for your grace and those shortcomings that I have. And Father, my prayer for all of us is that you would show us the areas of our life where we need to be more obedient. Those areas of our life that we need to submit more to you. To be the person that you have created us to be. And Lord, when we go through difficult times, when we go through tough circumstances, Lord, I pray that we're able to look to you. I pray that we are able to keep our eyes focused on you and that we are able to get to the place, Lord, where we submit the desires and the outcomes that we want and we trust you and are obedient to you because we know that it's for our betterment. 
So Father, I hope, I pray that we're able to walk alongside people and that we have people who walk along, who will walk alongside us in those times. But more than anything, Lord, I pray, pray for the power of your presence in difficult circumstances. Thank you for your patience with us as we are in process. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.